Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us for the ASHP Advocating for Impact podcast, where every episode covers a policy issue impacting the practice of pharmacy. I'm Tom Krause. Today, I'm joined by Jalan Schulte-Wall. Jalan is Senior Director for Health and Regulatory Policy and ASHP's resident expert on engaging federal agencies. Today, we're going to be discussing some of the recent developments related to our ability to track and trace drugs as they move through the supply chain. Jalan, can we start with a little refresher on what track and trace is, like who are the players and where are we in implementation? Yeah, sure. I, you know, this is one of those issues that has been around for a while. So track and trace arose from the Drug Quality and Security Act of 2013. It was one half of that law. The other half was the compounding law. And the track and trace half is actually the Drug Supply Chain Security Act. So when people say DSCSA, they're talking about track and trace. And basically what track and trace is set up to do is sort of create product tracing that trickles down through the entire supply chain down to the lowest saleable unit. So it's important to note here that you're not going to get past anything that's like a unit dose or a patient level dose under FDA's requirements. So anything that goes beyond that for tracking and tracing is kind of outside of the law. But everything from the manufacturers all the way down to the pharmacy is part of the track and trace chain. So what is basically required is that all of the basic players in the system are considered authorized trading partners. They have to be registered or licensed, depending on whether they're manufacturers, wholesalers, distributors, or pharmacies. And then the product that moves through, there's going to be product identifiers attached to it. And these include what what are colloquially known as the three T's. So there's the transaction history, the transaction statement, and transaction information that is supposed to accompany product from the manufacturer to the wholesale distributor down to the pharmacy, and then back up the chain again, say if something has to be returned to a manufacturer or wholesaler. And that is sort of the, the, the backbone of the of the track and trace law as it currently exists. There are a lot of pieces that are in implementation that we'll talk about in just a second. Okay, so you you mentioned implementation and this, uh, if I remember correctly, this law was passed way back in 2013. So Mm -hmm. where are we with implementation? Yeah, so it's been a really interesting ride to be part of the track and trace discussions. Um, Initially, when the law was passed in 2013, FDA kind of chunked up all the different requirements over a 10-year period, assuming that 10 years would be enough to kind of get this all into place, because the statutory implementation date is actually 2023. So that was what Congress kind of pinpointed as the time when this entire system would be up and running and you know, all tickety-boo. And that's just not how quite how it's worked out in the real world. So there are a couple of reasons for this. There are some things that are in place now. Some of the biggest chunks of this are in place. For instance, for dispensers, at this point, FDA expects that pharmacies have, will confirm that their trading partners are either licensed or registered and that they will only accept products from those trading partners and that they will also only accept products with the three T's. So that transaction history, transaction statement, and transaction information and that they will keep that information, those three T's on hand for six years, either in paper or electronic form. And the way this has kind of worked in process is in 
some of the wholesalers actually keep that information for hospitals and health systems. Some pharmacies, though, do keep it on site. It just depends on how they've set up their systems. And then the other thing pharmacies have to do is generate and provide those three T's if they are selling to an authorized trading partner. And it's important here to note that as a pharmacy, the patients, you know, if you're dispensing to a patient that is not part of track and trace, you don't have to provide them with any of the three T information. But if you are selling to another pharmacy who is then going to dispense, you you also don't have to provide that, that 3T information, which is interesting. And then the last thing pharmacies have to do is investigate a properly handle suspect and illegitimate product, which includes quarantining product until they can figure out whether it is, in fact, legitimate. And so, you know, those are the pieces that are in play. There are a number of pieces that were supposed to take effect this year too. And what's happened over time is that FDA has recognized that there has been, it's been a struggle, I think, to create a system that is able to be adopted nationally. There were initially some problems uh, getting all of the key stakeholders into a room and having them agree on a course of action. And that's still a work in progress. You know, you kind of want a system where everyone is agreeing to some very consistent components, you know, however you want to structure your system, you want to see some consistent elements so that it's easy to kind of iterate and then also to kind of expand it and contract it as necessary. And that has not proved as easy as one might think. And some of those things were sort of unexpected challenges with technology. So for instance, these product identifiers that have to be on packages are 2D barcodes and you have to have a scanner for that. And initially um, when that requirement was starting to take effect, there was an a recognition suddenly that there were not enough scanners on the market. You couldn't even buy the scanners if you needed them in time to kind of comply with the original stat, the original FDA date um, for implementation. And then one of the other examples of this is the linear barcodes that are supposed to go away when the 2D codes are on packages. Problem there is that the linear barcodes are actually used by a lot of hospitals and health systems for their own internal tracking. And some pharmacies, community pharmacies also use them as well. And nobody had asked the pharmacies whether they, you know, it was going to be problematic to remove those linear barcodes. So we had to go back up the chain and say to the manufacturers, you know, we still need those. We're not ready to kind of cede that territory with what they call real estate on the on the packaging yet. So that's kind of why you're seeing some of these things get delayed a little bit as there were upstream delays for manufacturers and wholesalers because across the board, all of the requirements for DSCSA went into effect first for those two authorized trading partners, which makes sense because they're kind of the top of the supply chain. And then we always wanted to see if there were delays at the top of the supply chain. We wanted to make sure that pharmacies also had the time to adapt to those delays and get things into the order they needed to be into. So that's kind of where we are now. We are behind. It is possible there will be a fully implemented DSDSA system by 2023, but I think it's going to be skeletal and I think you're still going to be working on kind of getting out some of the kinks for a while thereafter. So it sounds like there's there's quite a few operational challenges here. Now, you mentioned that there are some uh, requirements that were due to to take place this year. Can you just kind of say again what are those requirements and 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 which of them, if if they've been delayed, which of those are delayed? Sure. So there were two requirements for dispensers, and there are other requirements for upstream trading partners. But because this is just a short podcast, we won't get into all of that background. It, that would take hours. You could do a two-hour podcast on this pretty easily if somebody wanted to listen to it. 
So the two pieces that were scheduled to take effect on November 27, 2020 for dispensers were that you would have to verify product identifiers for suspects and illegitimate product. And this would mean that you'd have to look at the product identifiers on a what you consider a suspect or illegitimate product, and that is a judgment call by a pharmacist, and see if they have the three T's attached. Well, there were they're just not there yet. Even the upstream pieces of it aren't quite there to kind of do some of that tracking and tracing back up the system. So FDA is aware that that was a problem. ASHP in some comments had asked for kind of blanket enforcement discretion delays because we knew that upstream they were having trouble getting some of this into place. And we knew at our level, if we didn't know exactly what was going to be expected and how it was going to be done, it was going to be very hard to comply. And then at the same time, we had COVID kick in. And so I think it just became sort of a perfect storm where there was just no way anybody had extra time or resources to focus on this particular element of compliance at this point in time. So FDA actually earlier this week said, okay, we're going to give you an enforcement delay, discretion delay here for this verifying product identifiers requirement. You still have to quarantine anything that you consider suspect or illegitimate and report it. But that piece of it has already been in place and it's not going to change. This is just that you don't have to verify the product identifiers on that product. If you, even if you are quarantining it, there's not necessarily a way for you to effectively um, verify it at this point. So that that delay in enforcement is going to last until 2023, which was longer than what we had asked for, which was 2021 initially. So the second piece that is still kind of pending is the requirement that dispensers engage only in transactions that involve product encoded with product identifiers. And this gets complicated because there are some rules around grandfathering for product that's already in the system at a certain date and time. And I believe it was 2018. So anything that's already in the supply chain is not going to have a a product identifier. It was sort of a drop dead date for when things were going to have to once they entered the supply chain have a product identifier. And I think under normal circumstances, there would have been more lead time to get ready for this requirement. And unfortunately, with COVID-19, that just did not happen. And so we, again, as part of ASHP on its own, but also as part of a larger group of um, a lot of the national pharmacy organizations and the some of the distributors as well went to FDA and said, hey, this this other product about the, you know, having only transactions involving products encoded with product identifiers is also really problematic. And we would also like it delayed at least until 2021. And so that's the piece we're kind of waiting to hear from FDA on. And I will say that we've, you know, in back channel communications with the agency, they've indicated they are working on it. They can't, you know, legally tell us one way or the other what they're going to do until they make it public in a guidance document, essentially. But it sounds like at least there's there's a good chance that we get some some uh, additional. Yeah, I think the agency is really sensitive to the strain that COVID has put on the whole healthcare supply chain. And I think the least of their worries right now is whether people are checking to see whether a product identifier encoded on a project. You know, the bigger concern of supply chain right now is just getting product to people when they need it. Right. Um, so I think that's sort of the really key element here. And yes, I think we are going to get a decision from them in the near term. And I I, I am cautiously optimistic that they will allow enforcement discretion for that second piece as well. 
Well, thank you for talking us through this, Jillian, and thanks for your uh, your engagement of the agency uh, on behalf of uh, pharmacists. Of course. Great. Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.